So the first reading tonight comes from Deuteronomy 15, um, verses 7 to 11. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your gates in the land of the Lord your God is giving you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts, is near. And you are stingy toward your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all of your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you. You must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. Uh, Our second reading tonight is uh, from Luke chapter 10. Uh, It's on page 955 of the Church Bibles. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to see you tonight. My name is Paul, if you haven't met before, pastor here. Uh, We're having two weeks of topical sermons. Uh, So last week, if you were here, I looked at the, uh, the fear of the Lord, if you remember that. Uh, on the verticals of how good is God, how big is God, how mighty is God, how majestic is God. And so we're called to, to fear him, to revere him, to live our lives in awe of him. Uh, tonight we're going sort of horizontal. We're going the way that we care for each other. Uh, we're looking at ministers of mercies, looking at how you show care to people who are in need. Uh, when I say people in need, please don't just think people out there in the world. When I, say, when I say people in need, I'm talking about people here in church, people in our community, and yes, people in the world who you may never meet. I want to start tonight by showing you a, a video clip. It's a song with some pictures and some words. And as I play it, can I ask you to think about how this makes you feel? How does this make you feel? Let's take a look. So how are you feeling? Come and tell me.
Compelled, yep. Challenged. Grateful. Anybody else? When I saw it, I felt guilty. Have so much and give so little. Quite a bit manipulated, you know, nice music and powerful words and images. And, but then I felt overwhelmed, like the needs are so massive. Where do you start? And I felt excited, you know, use my hands and my feet. Like, take me, Jesus, and just use me as you will to make a difference in this world. I'm about to read a quote from a, a preacher called Robert Murray McShane. He is a great preacher from many, many years ago. He is preaching on Matthew 25, which is the passage in Scripture where Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats. Remember that? The last time, end, end time judgment day. He's talking about the way that uh, Jesus will expose the way that we really treated each other. It's on the screen. He says, I fear there are some Christians among you to whom Christ cannot say, well done, good and faithful servant. Your haughty dwelling rises in the midst of thousands who have scarce a fire to warm themselves at and have but little clothing to keep out the biting frost. And yet you never darkened their door. You heave a sigh, perhaps at a distance, but you do not visit them. Oh, my dear friends, I'm concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you on the great day. You seem to be Christians, and yet you care not for the, his poor. Oh, what a change will pass upon you as he enter the gates of heaven. You will be saved, but that will be all. There'll be no abundant entrance for you. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. I fear there are many hearing me who now know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally and not grudgingly at all requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money, make the most of it, give none away, enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you you'll be beggars throughout eternity. It's pretty confronting, isn't it? Pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? But it is scriptural. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, This is how we've come to know love. He, that is Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. Jesus sacrificed his life out of his love for us. And we should also lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. Now, do you see what God is saying? If you claim to love God, if you claim the love of God is in you, then you cannot close your eyes to the needs of the people around you. You've got to walk around this world and this church with your eyes open to opportunities to show love in action. James chapter 2 says something similar. 
If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. And God is saying there, you know, someone walks into church, a, a brother or sister in Christ. They might be a visitor, they might be a regular, but they've got real needs. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they lack clothing. He's saying, it's easy to say, go well, I'll pray for you, I'll think of you. But what good is that? They've left this gathering with the same needs that they came into it with. You didn't clothe them, you didn't feed them, you didn't care for them. And faith without, faith without works is, is dead. It's very challenging. Proverbs 14.31, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker, but one who is kind to the needy honours him. I feel like this sermon ought to come with a word of warning. And I, hope, I do hope we leave here tonight uncomfortable. That's a good thing, isn't it? Because God's word should prod us and prompt us and convict us and prompt us into action. I love stats. Here's some stats for you. You can go to the Homelessness Australia website. These stats are based on the Australian Bureau of Statistics. As we sleep in our comfortable beds tonight, one in 200 Australians will be homeless. One in 200. And it's not just talking about people sleeping rough. It's talking about people who are in temporary housing or can't afford to pay any rent or can't afford to own a home. People who are in refugees and shelters. One in 200. And just so you understand... Uh, The homeless people in general are not the aged person with the brown paper bag. The largest demographic is actually the 25 to 34-year-olds. And the second largest demographic? It's the under-12s. You see, homelessness here in Australia has many and varied causes. Financial stress, housing crisis, mental health issues, but the most common cause of homelessness is domestic and family violence. So please don't be ignorant. People are poor and needy for a whole range of reasons. Because a 30-year-old man who, his marriage broke down, he lost his job, he spent some months surfing the couches of some friends, but he couldn't get a job because he didn't have a home. He couldn't get a home because he hadn't got a job. And he just spiraled downwards and downwards and downwards. Think of the woman who fled an abusive marriage with her kids and her world just collapsed and she has nothing. Think of a lady at this church, intelligent, bright, who had a breakdown. Now she's addicted to everything. The stats for no-fault divorce in the U.S. are staggering. Listen to this. The standard of living for men in the year post their divorce increased by 42%. The standard of living increased by 42%, but for women, it decreased by 73%. 
We're watching an explosion in our country of the elderly population. An absolute explosion of the aged. And we're just pretending it's not happening. We're watching an explosion in mental health issues and people just get ignored. We need to be realistic. People are poor and needy for a whole range of reasons. Oppression, injustice, calamity, tragedy, mental health. And yes, of course, there's personal sin. And let me remind you, I'm not talking about people out there. I'm talking about people in here. In this building, part of this church family. I sat down this week and I just listed everyone I could think of. And I categorize them, people in poor and needy. I've got the, the lonely, the poor, the homeless, the abused, the neglected, the alcoholic, the person with drug problems, the mental health problems, the physically disabled, the unemployed, the illiterate, the elderly, the single parent, the widow, the widow, the widow and the widower, the ex-prisoner, the sick, the chronically ill, the victims of disaster and calamity, the depressed, the grieving and the stressed. And they're here as part of our church family. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to care for them? Outsource it to some government organization and and pretend it's not happening? How about we increase our budget and put on a staff member whose portfolio is to care for the poor and needy? And so we feel good about ourselves as a church because we're helping the poor and the needy. The Bible's answer is actually really very simple. I am responsible, and you are responsible. If we call ourselves a believer in Jesus, if we love Jesus, we are all responsible to care for the poor, to care for the needy, as we are able. Let me look at the motivation. Why? Why should we do it? The answer is really very simple again. It's God's mercy, isn't it? We show mercy to other people because we have received mercy from God. We show mercy to all kinds of people because God has showed mercy to all kinds of people like us. And when you grasp the the magnitude of God's mercy to you, you can't help but be merciful to other people. Luke chapter 6, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. So please don't do good deeds and acts of kindness out of guilt. I could easily guilt you into action tonight. That would be awful. Please don't do good deeds and acts of kindness out of your own pride. And that's the that's problem with mercy, mercy. It, it's easy to slip into pride and feel good about yourself because you think you're helping people and you puff yourself up. And please don't do it to earn your salvation, you know, the salvation by works, get brownie points with God. This must always flow from God's mercy to you. So flick back to Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? And Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your, all, all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. Stop there. 
Jesus is saying, if we kept those two commandments, love God wholeheartedly, love your neighbor as yourself, if we kept those two, if we did that, we'd have eternal life. So let me ask you, raise your hand here tonight. Who has kept those two commandments? Who has loved God with all their, whole, their soul, heart, mind, and strength? And who has loved their neighbors themselves? Come on, raise your hand. So why have you got eternal life tonight? Why do you sit here tonight confident of eternal life? And the answer is God's mercy, isn't it? God has been merciful to you. God has not treated you as your sins deserve. And when you've grasped that we deserve nothing from God, but he's lavished us with his kindness, then you start to see people differently. You stop seeing people as prostitutes and prisoners and druggies and the mental health people and the needy people because we're all equal, aren't we? We're all spiritually impoverished and spiritually poor and desperately in need of the mercy of God. So it must flow from God's mercy and it must flow for opportunities to talk about Jesus. And I know that there's a big debate. Do you do social action or preach the gospel? Do you do good deeds or do you do evangelism? And the answer is both, isn't it? Why have you drawn this massive wedge between the two? What better way than to demonstrate the character of Christ? What better way to demonstrate Christ's kindness and his compassion and his love than by showing mercy to the poor and needy? What better way to demonstrate that the gospel has changed you than by lavishing people with mercy and kindness and love? A few years ago, a team from Church by the Bridge went into Greenway and we just spent the day cleaning out a unit of a hoarder who lives in Greenway. You know, that one simple thing led to so many conversations about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you do this? What's your church about? So it's motivated by God's mercy to you and opportunity to talk about Jesus. Oh, but Paul, you need to convince me that the Bible really tells me I'm responsible. What's God's expectations? I'm about to quote a whole lot of scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Did you feel uncomfortable with that reading? Don't be stingy when you see someone in need. Open your arms to them. Open your hands to them. There should be no one needy amongst you. Exodus 23. Sow your land for six years and gather its produce. But during the seventh year... You'll let it rest so the poor among your people may eat from it. Remember Job, the righteous man? Job 29 says this, I was a father to the needy. I examined the case of the stranger. I shattered the fangs of the unjust. I rescued the poor man who cried out for help and the fatherless child who had no one to support him. There's a model for you, isn't it? Galatians 2, verse 10 says this. They asked only that we, would be, that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. James 1, verse 27. 
pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this. What does God love? What is pure and undefiled before God? To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Or look at the early church, Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the the things they were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And this was distributed for each person's basic needs. And the picture of the scriptures is that there should be nobody in God's family who goes without, because we care and we share. I love church history. If you read about the early church, what were they known for? They weren't just known for preaching the gospel. They were known for their acts of kindness. There's a Roman emperor called Emperor Julian. He lived in about AD 360 and he wrote this. It's disgraceful that while the impious Christians support both their own poor and ours... All men see that our own people lack aid from us. What he's saying there is that the church has showed up the world because the world looks at the church and they're embarrassed because the church is caring for their own poor and the church is caring for the poor of the world as well. If you know your history, who was it that during the great plagues on this earth? You know, black death times. Who was it that became doctors and nurses and cared for the sick? It was the Christians, and many of whom died doing so. Who was it that set up shelters for the homeless and helped people find employment and educated the uneducated? It was the Christians, it was the church that were known for their care of the poor and the needy. Well, look again at Luke 10, verse 29. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Tell me who to love. And Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous road. It's steep. It's dark. There's lots of pockets where thieves and robbers can hide. And this poor man fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him. They beat him up. And they fled and left him half dead. And so you've got this picture of this man who's lying wounded and beaten and bleeding and naked at the side of the road. And the fact that he's naked is important. If he is naked, then you you can't tell who he is, what race he is, what background he is, whether he's rich or he's poor. He's just a man in need. And then verse 31, you read it and your heart rejoices because a priest happened to be going down that road. A man who loves God, hallelujah. A man who's just been up in Jerusalem praising God and worshipping God. He's walking down the road. But when he saw him, this religious man passed by on the other side. But then in God's kindness, verse 32, in the same way a Levite came, and the Levites were the people responsible for caring for the poor. They loved God and they they, they claimed to care for the poor. And when he arrived at the place and saw him, what did he do in verse 32? He passed by as well. So you've got these two Men who claim to know God and claim to love God and they see the person, they see the need and what do they do? They pass on by. 
Now, I'm sure if there's memory in church tonight, they would stand here and they would tell you all their reasons why they walked on by. Oh, we were busy. Oh, we were heading down to Jericho to run a church service. Oh, I was thinking about my own personal safety. It's dark and it's dangerous, you know. Oh, I didn't know whether he was ceremonially unclean, and so I didn't want to contaminate myself. I don't know what the excuses would be. But they're all excuses, aren't they? Because you've got a man in need who is in need of mercy and kindness and help, and they see him and they choose to ignore it. And the contrast is in verse 33. A Samaritan, the bitter enemy of the Jewish people, no obligation to stop. He's on his journey somewhere. And he came up to him and when he saw the man, what's the word that's used in verse 33? He had had compassion. It's a word that, it's, a, it's an emotional word. It's a word where you, you see the need and you feel it and you, the pain changes you and you want to act. Your heart breaks for them. So how did this Samaritan man show mercy? Verse 34. He went over to him. Let's just stop there. He went over to him. He didn't just fling money at him. He actually got alongside him. He knelt down before him. He got his hands dirty. And then he offered practical help. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put him on his own animal. He transported him. He sought medical help. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day, he took out money and gave it to the innkeeper. So it was costly financially. And then he said to the innkeeper, take care of this man. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you whatever extra you spend. I love that bit. He's saying, my job isn't done. Now, I'm going to leave him with you, and here's my, here's my visa card, and whatever it costs, you know, make sure that this man gets well again. It's costly, it's sacrificial. I'm sure this Samaritan man had a schedule to keep. He's on his way somewhere, but he abandons his schedule when he sees a man in need. He parts with his cash when he sees a man in need. He gets his hands dirty when he sees a man in need. And this story does three things. I think it, it shows us that command to love God and to love your neighbor. That is impossible, isn't it? It's impossible. And you and I need Jesus. It exposes our sin because this expert wants to justify himself. Verse 29 and says, who is my neighbor? I think we do that, you know. Okay, God, you, you told me to love my neighbor. Well, Give me the list of who are these people that you want me to love. Who's my neighbor? Tell me. Give me the 10 people that you really want me to love so I can sit here next week and I can feel good about myself. I can tick the boxes. I've loved all those people this week. And Jesus said, it's not about who is your neighbor. It's how to be a neighbor. Do you spot that in verse 36? He doesn't focus on who the neighbor is. He focuses on who was a neighbor. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Oh, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do the same. See, Jesus expands our scope, doesn't he? Who is your neighbor? Anybody in need. Anybody who happens to come across your path who is in need. Anybody who you meet has a physical, emotional, financial 
and spiritual need, you're called to be a neighbor as you are able. And again, let me be very clear here. Like The focus of this church is to make disciples of Christ. The focus of this church is to introduce people to Jesus. Of course that's true. But as disciples of Jesus, as people who claim to know and love Jesus, our attitude towards the poor and needy is kind of a test. We can't claim to love Jesus if we do not show care for the poor and the needy. And I find that very confronting. Don't you? Oh, but Paul, there's so much need out there. Where do I start? It's overwhelming. It's paralyzing. Where do I start? Who am I responsible for? Let me say you are most responsible for those closest to you. The, f- the first, first sphere of responsibility is actually your, your biological family. Maybe from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Support widows who are genuinely widows. Verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And what Paul is saying there is that you may serve every week down at Greenway and you may serve every week down at James Mercer Retirement Village. You might visit the prisoners at Long Bay and Silverwater. You might do the food van in the city. You might go to the refugee centre. But if there's people in your own family who you don't take care of, there's something terribly wrong. Now, if you've got aged parents, elderly parents, you can't just abdicate all responsibility. Sure, you may need to put them into an into a, a aged care facility because of their physical needs, but you're still called to care for them, to love them, to visit them. You might have children who are in emotional, financial struggles. You don't stop being a parent for that child, do you? You might have somebody in your family who is chronically ill. Care for them, love them. That first sphere is your biological family. The second sphere is your, your church family, your spiritual family, your spiritual home. And when I say this, I'm not just talking about programs. I'm not talking about pastoral care programs at church. I'm talking about we as individuals who know what the needs of the people in our congregation are. Galatians 6 verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Everybody, inside the church and outside the church, but, verse, verse 10, especially to those who, who belong to the family of believers. And, and most of these verses I've quoted tonight, you know, Deuteronomy 15, 1 John 3, James 2, Acts 4, is talking about the way you care for your brothers and sisters in Christ, your church family. Again, James 2 verse 15 is very confronting. If someone walks into church, if someone comes to your hive group, if someone sits next to you and they are cold or hungry or have emotional needs, please don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, please do say that because prayer is powerful. But please don't just say, I will pray for you. Act, do something. What does it cost you to pick up the phone in the week? What does it cost you to pick up the phone and say, how are you doing? What does it cost you to make a meal for them? Buy, buy a meal. 
buy a frozen lasagna and just take it round to them. We've got a lady down our street, lives on the high street. She's a friend of ours. She's not a believer. She didn't come to church. In the past 18 months, she has overwhelmed us with her kindness and her generosity because about once a month, on our doorstep, arrives a, 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 a loaf of banana bread. <laughs> Never asked for that. She's just trying to be kind. And it puts us to shame, doesn't it? There are people here in our church family who are hurting, who are sad, who are poor, who are needy. The next sphere is all equally confronting. It's our local community. This is the Good Samaritan, the people that just happens to come across your path. The in-your-face opportunities. Here, as we sit here tonight in those red brick towers by the station called Greenway, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who are hurting, they're sad, they have mental health problems or addictions or health problems. And we as a church can make a small difference, can't we? I was down at James Milson this Thursday. That's the retirement village down on the corner. I said to a lady who hadn't been visited by her family for six months. Her kids and her grandchildren live in Sydney. And she said, oh, they have very busy lives. I just sat with her, had a cup of tea with her, listened to her, and I prayed with her. On Wednesday this week, I was just walking past church in the afternoon and a lady walked towards me and you know when you spot people and their eyes are red and there's tears in their eyes? All I did to her was I I smiled at her. That's all I did. I just smiled at her. And she stopped. I said, are you okay? She said, oh no, I'm not okay. And she burst into tears. I don't know who she is. Never met her before. I said, do you want to talk? She said, no, not really. But she did. And we talked for about two minutes. That's all, just about two minutes. And I said, look, if you ever need to talk, please just phone me. Gave him my number. I said, if you, if you just want to come and sit in church on a Saturday night or a Sunday, just, just come. We'd love to, to get to know you and to help you if we're able. Now, I don't know who she was, who she is. I don't know whether I ever see her again. Now, what did that cost me? What did it cost me? A smile and two minutes of my time. You see, when I'm talking about making a difference in the world, I'm not talking about changing the world. I'm not talking about massive stuff. I'm talking about the the small little things that you and I can do to make a difference. We can start by actually wandering around looking at people rather than looking at our iPhones. We can start by smiling at people. And you can start actually just by sitting and talking to people. Hang around under the bridge. Lots of people there just sitting on park benches. Talk to them. Listen to their stories. So your own family, your church family, your community... Let me add a few caveats. 
if you're going to do mercies of ministry, or mercies of mercy rather, it's going to get very messy. It can get very messy. Because some people will take advantage of you. And some people will abuse your kindness. I want to say that's part and parcel of mercy ministries, isn't it? I'd rather show kindness and mercy and get taken advantage of than not show kindness and mercy for fear of being taken advantage of. Also need to say though that at times we can be very foolish and very unwise because the danger is that we we sort of take on this Messiah complex and we think that we can solve the world and change everything about the person. And I think the good Samaritan got it right, didn't he? He helped as he was able. He took the man to the person who could help him. He took the man to an inn where he could be taken care of. He did not think he could be this man's social worker, financial advisor, counsellor, psychiatrist, psychologist, GP. And many of us are stupid. We think that we can take on all those different roles. We can't. But you can care for them as you are able and point them to the right people who can help them. And I want to also say that this sermon tonight is not about church-run activities. It's not about signing up for Greenway or signing up for James Muslim Retirement Village. There are people who come across your path, who live in your street, who are poor and needy. Just get to know them, know your neighbours and help as you are able. It struck me this week that the, the man who is dying in this parable... What, what did he do to get help? Look at your Bibles. What, what did he do to get help? He did nothing, did he? he? He might have groaned. He might have moaned a bit. But he had no capacity to, to grab hold of the Samaritan and tell the Samaritan man his problems. And yet we often expect that to happen. We expect people to come to us with their problems and tell us what their needs are. We must go to them. Make ourselves available. Wander around with our eyes open. Stop, look, listen, smile. Offer to help as you're able. So how are you feeling now? Challenged and comfortable? Excited?